Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to Soft Spot episode number 59, our very first episode of 2022. My name is Chelsea Hamishin. I am your host and the Vice President of Marketing and Events at the Global Soft Foundation. Today, we talked with the team at Special Ops Survivors, including one of their wonderful surviving soft spouses. But before we jump into the episode, I have some quick foundation announcements. First of all, if you saw our video New Year's card, which if you didn't, you could find it by searching for Global Soft Foundation on YouTube, you know that we had a bittersweet announcement at the end of the video. After 40 years of military and government service, our Director of Government Relations and retired U.S. Army Command Sergeant Major Rick Lamb has fully retired. Rick was a frequent co-host on the podcast. You'll even hear him a bit in today's episode because we recorded it last year. And he was very important to our foundation and the community. So we will miss him dearly. But that doesn't mean he'll never be back on or you won't see him around anymore because you know he won't go away that easily. Next, I want to highlight some of our upcoming events. As with basically everything, the Omicron variant has thrown a wrench in some of our plans, but we're using that wrench to keep making things work. Very soon, on February 9th, we have a virtual Soft Imperatives Roundtable that will feature the ASD Solik, Chris Mayer. He's going to give some remarks and also take some Q&A from the audience. We've also invited some members of Congress to speak as well, so check out our website for details and to get registered. If you're thinking, hey, wait, wasn't that supposed to be the in-person forum in D.C. on February 9th? Why, yes, it was. But because of the situation and limitations for COVID in D.C., we've pushed that event to June 15th. So fingers crossed that COVID is a little less rampant then. Our next big in-person event is the Special Air Warfare Symposium, which we're of course calling by its kick-ass acronym, SAWS. SAWS is happening in Fort Walton Beach, the home of Air Force Special Operations Command, aka AFSOC. This event will have a symposium featuring speakers like the Chief of Defense for the Slovak Republic, the Commander of U.S. AFSOC and USASOAC, and the former Commander of SAW for the Republic of Korea. There will also be an adjacent expo featuring all of the latest and greatest tech and capabilities related to special aviation. We've also got an industry matchmaking event, a software life transition seminar, several networking opportunities, and oh, by the way, it's happening about five feet from the beautiful beaches of the Florida Panhandle. To learn about all of these events and more, please visit our website at gsoft.org events. We'd love to have you at any or all of them. As I mentioned earlier, today's interview was with some folks from Special Ops Survivors. This is a really excellent organization that's helping the families of special operators who have died in service. You can learn about what they're doing and how you can support on their website, which is linked in our show notes. And that includes anything from volunteering as a mentor to last year they did a really cool sweepstakes for a custom motorcycle to any donations you can offer. Rick and I spoke with Eric Kramer and Rob Neitzel from Special Ops Survivors, along with the amazing Jackie Syverson, one of their surviving spouses. And then if we want to break it down. Wow. Global Soft Foundation. My immediate reaction was, this is awesome. Special Operations Association for Special Ops. You have our support. Let's move. Welcome to Soft Spot. My name is Eric Kramer. I'm the executive director for the nonprofit Special Ops Survivors. It's the only nonprofit that caters to all 
the uh, survivors and widows and Gold Star families, a special operations personnel across all services, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines. I've uh, been the executive director since December 2019. Uh, and before that, I was in the Army for 26 years, uh, retired as a Special Forces officer, then continued to serve in other capacities with Asymmetric Warfare Group, and then switched to the civilian sector uh, as a CEO of a tech startup. Uh, I missed the connection to the special operations community and wanted to continue my service. Uh, when the opportunity came to apply for and come on board with Special Ops Survivors, I jumped at the chance. I see it as a continuation of my service and giving back to those who, uh, who did not come back. Thank you. Thanks, Eric. That's awesome that you had the opportunity to get back into the community. Uh, Rob, how about you? Hey, so good afternoon. Um, my name is Rob Neitzel. I am a 21 year veteran of the US Army and I served in Airborne Ranger and Special Operations Units. And much like Eric made the comment, after retirement, it was really missing the, the brotherhood and the band and connectivity that I had with the military community. And how do you get back into that and really part of a family? And through a random meeting, I met uh, some board members of special ops survivors as I was working for a company called Spartan Race, and we were hosting an event in Boston. And then through that, I became a member of the board uh, as an army representative for that community. I currently serve as a vice chairman for the board of directors and really have enjoyed this opportunity to be able to give back to the community and our survivors like Jackie. Thank you. And that's a great intro for Jackie. Jackie, can you tell us a little about yourself? Okay, my name's Jackie Syverson, and I'm the surviving spouse of Major Paul Syverson. He was killed in Iraq by an RPG in June of 2004. I had heard, I worked a lot with the family support and readiness groups on posts for 5th Special Forces Group in the 160th. And I had heard of special ops survivors prior to Paul dying. Um, but after he died, they reached out to me and just like what Rob said, a big thing is you miss that military family, that military connection, especially that special ops connection with your people. And so when I got first start involved with special ops survivors, it was like a whole new world opened up to me and I got to meet all of, a bunch of other surviving spouses and got a whole brand new family and a whole new group of friends. And I'm very thankful for them. Thanks, Jackie. Uh, sorry for your loss. And I'm glad that you found this community. And Rick, I know most of us know you, uh, but why don't you give a little bit of an intro? Hey, thanks, Chelsea. So I'm, uh, I'm Rick Lamb. I'm a retired uh, SAR major. I did 26 years in SOF and another 12 as a civilian down at US SOCOM. And I'm currently the uh, director of government relations at the Global SOF Foundation. And I, I could probably echo everything in the, that, that everybody has said is that it is all about purpose, connection, and the network. And uh, great to uh, great to be here with you. Thanks, Eric. So, Eric, why don't you talk a little bit about the mission of Special Ops Survivors? I know you talked about it a little, but maybe a little more elaboration on what your main purpose is. Uh, absolutely. Our mission is we provide long-term assistance uh, to the spouses of fallen special operations personnel who were either uh, killed in action or during training. Uh, not only do we provide long-term assistance to special operators, but also support personnel. 
if they were attached or assigned to a special operations unit. Like I said in the intro, we're the only charity that focuses on all services uh, and all special operations units, not just one. So we have specific programs that, that provide that assistance, uh, everything from continuing education. Uh, one of the good, good things or unique things about that program compared to others, we fill in the gaps where a lot of these, you know, the Fry scholarships and things like that focus on traditional degrees, bachelor's, associates. Uh, we also provide assistance for those non-standard degrees, whether it's yoga certification, emergency medical technician training, real estate license. Uh, we've uh, helped put three people through law school, uh, as well as graduate school and even a doctorate. Uh, so there's that program. Other programs include emergency financial aid, such as or financial aid, such as you have an air conditioner go down. Uh, we helped a lot of folks around the Fayetteville area with some of the storms, uh, storm damage from the hurricanes the past few years, roof damage, uh, floor damage, you name it. Another program is uh, one of our most popular is called the Forget Me Not program. Uh, it's a program where basically during the holidays, whether it's a birthday or anniversary of your hero's death or Valentine's Day, where we send Forget Me Nots. It might be a little token of, of gratitude, a piece of jewelry or a pack of seeds or candy uh, to our survivors. And, and I got to tell you, that is that is probably one of the most popular programs we have. No, hands down, it is. Uh, because it lets them know they're not forgotten. It's the little things that matter. When I came on board, you know, I was taking a look at the budget and I questioned what, what is so important about this program? And it's hands down the best one because it matters. Uh, I also, we uh, once a year, we do a resiliency retreat where we combine, we get the survivors together, we combine fun events with the hard hitting events. Uh, this year was virtual, it was just a couple of weeks ago. One of the main areas we focus, focused on was suicide prevention. Uh, as y'all well know from GSOF that uh, suicides or it's a pandemic when it, within the uh, special operations community, also within the survivors community as well. Uh, so talking about those hard issues there. So I would say uh, also another thing working on is regional, regional support groups. So they'll have support groups within their local communities. But the biggest thing we provide is that sense of community. That, that, all these programs are, are great and, and are important, but just that sense of community uh, and knowing that there are other folks going through what you have gone through. Maybe they're, you know, they're you're a new survivor or you've been around a while. Uh, we provide that long-term sense of community uh, that uh, sometimes lacking because a lot of times folks will move away from the soft community or the military community, different place that provides that connectivity and that uh, sisterhood and brotherhood. Thank you. Thanks, Eric. Uh, Rob, is there anything you want to add about any of the specific programs? Eric did a great job of really being able to provide that overview of all the services. From my optic, the biggest thing that you take a look at where a survivor is at, and I like to use in terms of a concentric circle to really kind of consider how that survivor is. So all of us in the military came from somewhere else. And I'll use me as an example, small town in Wisconsin, 3,485 people. I had brothers, sisters, aunts, uncles, big immediate family that if I needed anything, they're right there. When I joined the army, went to Fort Benning, Georgia, and you know that was a completely different experience for a kid from Wisconsin. And then it just you know grew from there and it became implanted in the South 
Fort Benning and then Fort Bragg and never left. And so with those things in mind, you look at a survivor and the uniqueness of that. So first and foremost, they were part of a volunteer organization, meaning their, their spouse or significant other volunteered to be in the service, then volunteered to be in special operations. And on top of that, were volunteers during the global war on terror. So that's just a unique person in that. And that spouse is a part of that journey. So with that, they got uprooted from wherever that family structure was for them and went to the various bases that we have for our joint special operations forces. But then they got embedded in a great culture, fellow teammates, fellow families, the whole bonding and uniqueness of that. That was a quiet culture. You didn't brag about it. It wasn't advertised. It wasn't anything that was significant, but you had a network of family members that really helped them through everyday insignificant and significant challenges that they might had to, again, just feel that community and bond. But then it gets tragically uprooted. You know, so ultimately they get spread, they go to their various locations, they still have to raise a family, they still have to be part of a community, but there's this portion of their life that's difficult to communicate. I find it as a veteran, and I think any veteran will speak to that, you can't just talk to everybody about what your experiences were, or sometimes how you're feeling, unless that person kind of understands where you came from. So special ops survivors creates this network that if you're having a bad day, you're feeling maybe some anger, you're feeling some frustrations, or you just need to talk to somebody that can personally identify with the whole journey from the beginning to where they're currently at, it's there. And it's there electronically. It's there via conferences. It's there via a telephone call. And I've had the privilege of sitting in, I think, on three of our virtual retreats that we've done now since the pandemic. I'm telling you, it is impactful each and every time I do it. And because of the connectivity, because of what these survivors bring to each other and that level of support. And so this particular charity, this particular cause, I think just really reflects the spirit and the capability of never ending that bond or that call it pathway communication form for these survivors, because it's invaluable to the memory of what they've been part of. It's invaluable to the legacy that they're carrying on, and it's invaluable to their health and overall well-being. And it's what we owe as a country and as people as part of the board of directors to be able to support that capability. Thank you, Rob. Well put. Um, Jackie, is there a certain program um, that really spoke to you or that has had a bigger impact on you than maybe you would have expected? I will say the whole thing. Um, when my husband was killed, I had a seven week old daughter and a seven year old son. I grew up military. My dad's over, he had just retired the year prior, he's retired a colonel. Um, so I basically went from being a colonel's daughter. I went to college on a full ROTC scholarship. I met Paul, got married. I've never not been in the military. So when Paul was killed, I moved up where my parents were up north and it was a whole different world. And I was so sad every day. You would have never known it because I'm a good smiler. But I had a newborn and a seven-year-old who I had to be cool for. And I would meet people and they'd say, oh, so-and-so is a widow. You should talk to her. It's a totally different dynamic. I went for a year just kind of walking around in my own little bubble like, oh, this is my life. Like literally counting down the days. I was like, well, if I live time 50, both my kids will be 20, you know, one will be 28 want to be 35. They'll be set to go. That's, that's, I just got to make it through that day. And I would wake up every day and count down the numbers. Like how many days do I have left until I hit that number? Um, 
I went to my first conference in August of 2005, like had no idea what to expect, scared to death. I knew a couple survivors just because I'd been so entrenched in the community prior to that. But I had never spoken to them after Paul died because you just go into your own world. And I went up there and I was like, I, I don't want to hang out with a bunch of sad, pitiful widows and be sad all, you know, blah, blah. And I got there and had the absolute best time of my life. It just, we did the hard grief work. We did the counseling, the financial services. This is way back in 2005. There wasn't a lot of information out there. The internet was still fairly new. I had dial-up internet. You know, there weren't really cell phones. You, you guys know what I'm talking about. There was, you needed to find something. You're not finding up-to-date education benefits and VA benefits in an encyclopedia. So we went to this conference and they had experts there that walked us through every step of the way. They had grief experts there and we had grief counseling sessions that were hard work, but brought us all so close together. I always say like when I went to that first conference, I was a broken shell and I left that conference with renewed hope. You know, um, we've all heard the story of the starfish, the little kids walking down the beach, throwing one back in. And a guy says, why are you doing that? You can't save them all. And he said, well, if I save one, special ops survivors saved me. And I have another story about starfish that we came up with together at a conference, all of us girls. It was like, we love starfish because they lose a part of themselves. Like if you ever watch a starfish stumbling through the ocean, sometimes they'll break off a piece of their arm or just lose a part of themselves. And that's kind of where we all were. We had all lost a part of ourselves. But starfish have the unique ability to grow back what they lost. Never exactly the same, but in honor and memory of what was there before, except stronger. It's a true thing. You can look it up. And so we all decided, you know what? We're all just baby starfish. And we've lost a huge part of ourselves. But with this group and this community, we're going to go grow back. We're going to grow ourselves back to that whole person, always in the memory and honor of our spouse that we lost, but stronger because we are together as a community. And I've used almost every benefit that they have. I got a master's degree in exercise science and health promotion. Um, one day my ceiling collapsed because a pipe had leaked and it was just an emergency thing. And it's like, oh my gosh, this is a ridiculously expensive fix. And they were like, hey, we can help you with that. Um, just all of the resources that forget me nots like Eric was talking about, I'm 17 years out. Sometimes it's hard to not feel forgotten. And not that I'm forgotten, I don't want people jumping on me, but it's like, does anybody even remember Paul existed? Yep, they sure do because they send something. The community like um, Rob was talking about when all of this went down, my husband was injured in Afghanistan in 2001, like right at the very beginning when Afghanistan started to fall, you would not believe the text threads that all of us survivors immediately, way before the soldiers were killed, like literally the day it started to fall, we were all just like, what do we do? We feel so broken. We don't know what to do. Who can we talk to? And it was us. I think there were 20 of us on this text thread, just back and forth. I love you so much. I'll support you. Do you need me to come see you? How are you? Are you hanging in there? And you know, that's a connection nobody else can give you. And I'm involved in a lot of different organizations. I volunteer for a lot. Special Ops Survivors has had the most impact and has truly kept me going and living through all of these times and not just living, not just being a shell of myself, but living, thriving, succeeding, and being truly, truly happy, which I never thought I would be again. Let's take a quick break to talk about a Global Soft Foundation founding partner, Worldwide Technology or WWT. 
WWT is a systems integrator that brings an innovative and proven approach to how large public and private organizations explore, evaluate, architect, and implement multi-vendor solutions. Customers have hands-on access to cutting-edge data center, networking, security, and collaboration products through the WWT Advanced Technology Center, or ATC. Technical expertise from an expansive team of engineering resources and accelerated global product delivery powered by a sophisticated supply chain management infrastructure. They're a really fantastic and supporting partner for the foundation. They help us with everything from discussing capabilities for soft to sponsoring networking events for our international partners. So thank you so much WWT for your ongoing support. Let's get back to the conversation. Can you talk a little bit about what made you go to that first conference and maybe what you would say to someone who like you is like, I don't want to go to that. You know, what, what words of encouragement would you have to say, like, you need to go. There's no way to describe what a great feeling you get when you're at these conferences. I did not want to go. I was super nervous, but I also knew I wasn't the best me that I could be. And I needed the opportunity to connect with somebody else that had been through what I had been through and that was doing okay on the other side of it. Not that we're all perfect, not that we don't still cry, not that all of that, but to go be around people that are my age, in my circumstance, who have been in the same community I have and see that, hey, there is light at the end of this tunnel. There are people that will be there. We've got your back. They've got your back. This is it's a scary step to take for sure, but it is such a warm, loving, welcoming community. I would go grab them and walk them out the door to the conference. You know, it's just, it's that important and that impactful. Awesome. Thank you, Jackie. Um, Eric or Rob, you guys can fight over it. Do you have any other success stories that you'd like to share? Any that stand out in your mind as like particularly impactful? I do have one, a very recent one that Jackie uh, reminded me of when when Afghanistan fell, you know, she talked about within the survivor community. And I know GSOFT's talked about it quite a bit within the special ops community, within the veterans community. It, it hit. It was like a gut punch, you know, all the emotions. So uh, we had a town hall uh, and it involved, you know, obviously survivors. Uh, I think we ended up having well over 30 40 folks uh, participate. We also had board members from each of the services. Um, one of the things that's unique about our board too, we have a combination of a retired SOF from every service, you know, MARSOC, AVSOC, uh, USASOC, NAVSPEC, WARCOM, uh, as well as civilians. Uh, and we had the participants from the different board members who had been in the service who'd served in Afghanistan talk too. Uh, it was very gut-wrenching, but cathartic at the same time. Uh, we had to all articulate what we were feeling uh, and explain from, from a geopolitical view, from a down on the soldiers you know, level, what, ha what happened, what we were feeling. And then also talking to the survivors, you know, answer their questions the best we could of trying to make sense of it all. I, to me, that's the biz, biggest success story, I, if you can call it a success, but most impactful is a better way to put it, uh, I would say. Rob? So building on Eric's point and 
Jackie, I'm, I'm gonna use you as an example and hopefully I, I represent it well. Uh, what Eric was mentioning with the fall of Afghanistan, it really did bring up a lot of emotions. And it's a reminder that special ops survivor is really a lifelong service. And, and here's the way I'm gonna frame it. So if you use Jackie as a reference at the point of impact in 2001, single mother, a survivor, and just trying to figure out what's next, not necessarily processing everything in terms of what does it mean to her? She, she was doing all the things that, you know, a typical parent would do. I'm going to take care of my kid and plural. I'm going to be the best mother that I can be and probably put down a lot of those initial emotions and call it individual needs. She served others before herself. And then you look at how many years later, 20 years later, the fall of Afghanistan, and all of a sudden it surfaced up a lot of emotions, feelings, the validation, was it worth it? You know, all these different things came to bear to surface and who is there to be able to help in that? This network of survivors, to talk them through it, to reassure them, to give them, you're not the only one thinking this. And it was incredibly powerful to witness and see them coming to the forefront, them helping each other through this journey them being there immediately for each other and the true connectivity, even some that have never met in person, but being able to do that via the teleconference that was set up for it, the impact of that is a lifelong journey. And so that's why this mission is important. This is this process that we're doing for the survivors, it's invaluable to their overall health. And so there's different stages and journeys they're gonna go through at different times. And it's unpredictable when you're gonna feel it but to know that this network is always there is something special. What are some of the biggest challenges you guys face? Do you have issues with like fundraising? Do you have to face bureaucracy when you're working with all of the different services or is it they're usually pretty like, yeah, come on in and help out. There's a, the whole, there's a whole myriad of, of, of challenges. Uh, I'll, I'll start with uh, something you brought up. When I first came aboard, I was charged with, refining and in, in, uh, furthering the relationship with the different services. Uh, each service has a different way of, of notifying about, about casualties and the personal information. Uh, the Army has an outreach program to nonprofits, so that was relatively easily to get in the pipeline there of being notified when there's a casualty. Uh, twice a month, the Human Resources Command puts something out to the, to the charities. The other services is basically word of mouth. You know, fortunately, we have board members and obviously survivors who are still part of the community. So they hear uh, and, and we're able to find out that way. But sometimes it's hit or miss. You know, a lot of times it's we find out secondhand, we find out through the news. So that's one challenge, just staying connected and staying, you know, being able to reach out to survivors. We try to reach out. We all like to say the Tuesday after there's initial flood of, of support when there's a casualty when someone passes. Uh, but then, you know, when everything, the fervor dies down, we try to contact folks about six months uh, afterward uh, and they continue the years past or years after that. Uh, so that's challenge number one. Uh, challenge number two is the fundraising. Uh, frankly, uh, all our events were in-person events and, you know, the pandemic hit and everything was canceled. So it's been a challenge. And yeah, if you want to elaborate that on that, Eric or Rob, how can people get involved, whether they are a survivor and they'd like to reach out and get support 
And then people who are in the community and just want to help, whether through a donation or attending an event, something like that, how, how can people get involved? Uh, so, uh, first of all, go to our website. You know, that's the, the answer nowadays. You go straight to the website, www.specialopsurvivors.org. Uh, and you can donate there. Uh, at the very top of the page, it says donate. Thanks, Eric. Um, you know, you asked a great you know, distinction with the difference. There's financial support, which we'd always appreciate because it enables the programs that we have. But when you take a look at where our survivors are from, I think we almost touch every state. And so there's a lot of things anybody can contribute. And so whether or not they, they have the financial means to do that, their time is also something that is of incredible value. And each person can bring a different skill set or an opportunity. Uh, we've had people volunteer to be able to do help us with arts and crafts uh, that you know is a, a video bonding connectivity when we do our virtual conferences to where we've had mental health specialists donate their time. And so that's a wide ranging variety, but each and every person has something special and unique that they can get. And I, I never want a person to look at, well, I don't know what I can offer. Just your presence, your support, building out that community. It might be somebody that you know lives in the state of Montana where we got one survivor that could be regionally close, that could reach out to that person to be, need a lift, you need a help, or you just want a human to see, touch, and connect to and talk to outside of the virtual presence that we do. All of those things would help. And so my takeaway from that would be, number one, Love to be able to get the financial support so we can continue the programs. Number two, anything you can do will be of help, and we'll figure out a way to get you involved. Hey, Chelsea, I, I do. The um, do you guys partner with anybody? Well, we have uh, uh, affiliations with Special Operations Warrior Foundation. Uh, I like to consider them our our our, our big sister. Uh, so, uh, Navy SEAL Foundation. Uh, the Marine Raider Foundation, uh, let's see, the uh, Air Commando uh, Foundation. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing some, but when I first came on board, I did adjacent unit coordination uh, and reached out to these other nonprofits. And so we, we, we uh, have a loose affiliation when it comes to whether if there's, if there's, a, if there's a survivor, uh, a Gold Star family that, that has, you know, that needs help. Uh, we try to pool our resources. So it really is a community of, of, of interest. Oh, tunnels to towers or tower. I got that right. Uh, them as well. So yes, uh, we, we partner with several organizations. Okay. It's, beautiful. Yeah. But, you know, Rick, along that, that thought process, you know, like with what you and Mike are doing with the three Rangers foundations and special operations for life, anybody you could think that would be a good call it even corporate sponsorship or something. Cause you know, things Eric and I were not trained on fundraising, you know, that that has not been anywhere in our you know pathway that we have joined in life. And, you know, Eric's working his tail off to be able to do that and, you know, hustling every day to make it happen. But what would be a successful moment for us is how can we look at a longer term partnership that would give us the stability and the confidence to know we can run these five virtual programs per year and one in-person program per year, given you know COVID restrictions and the pandemic tapering off as we hope it will in the near future, so that we can give the confidence to our survivors. These base programs that we've talked about today, virtual retreats, the forget-me-nots, that connectivity that we give them will continue on forever.
I just want to say thank you for having us on and for helping us um, share the story. This organization truly has saved my life and I'm living the dream in Destin, Florida. My son's a sheriff's deputy. My daughter's about to go to college next year. Like we are all doing great. And I honestly don't think we'd be at this stage. I know I, it's not, I don't think, I know we wouldn't be doing this well if it weren't for this community and for this organization, Special Ops Survivors. So thank you for having us on and letting us talk about it. And hopefully the word gets out and we can continue to do what we're doing. Soft Spot is the podcast of the Global Soft Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit based in Tampa, Florida, and the only professional association for the international special operations community. It's produced, edited, and hosted by me, Chelsea Hamishan. If you liked what you heard, subscribe and give us a five-star review. To learn more about the Global Soft Foundation, visit us online at gsoft.org. That's gulfsierraoctoberfoxtrot.org.